Hi, friends and listeners of the Rabbi and Pastor Walked In podcast. In this episode, Rabbi Ari and Pastor Daniel take a break from the Genesis series to sit and lament with each other in the aftermath of the shooting that took place at the Tree of Life Synagogue in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, October 27th, 2018. The normal opening music seemed inappropriate for the tone of this particular episode, and so that's why I'm just giving this brief preface here. In addition to offering thoughts and prayers for the families and victims, we additionally extend our spiritual, social, and political efforts for societal change. They recorded this episode on November 9th, 2018. The date is also the first day of Kislev, which has Hanukkah, and uh, which is the festival of light in the darkness. Kislev is? Kislev is a month. Month. Hebrew yeah. month. And uh, it is the 80th anniversary of Kristallnacht, when the night of broken glass in Germany in 1938, when the, uh, the Nazis began running around smashing Jewish shops, pulling their shop owners out of their stores and out of their homes, and beating them and killing them and trashing synagogues. That's the night that the Holocaust actually began. At least that's right. what we commemorate. So it's, um, it's the yesterday on the Jewish calendar and today, November 9th, on the secular calendar. So that's when this is happening. It's also two weeks from the shooting in Pittsburgh. So, welcome to a rabbi and a pastor walked in. I'm Pastor Daniel. And I'm Rabbi Ari, and we walked in and we sat down, and we wept. <laughs> <laughs> right. I think uh, one of the things we wanted to talk about was our reactions and responses to all that's been happening in our nation over the last few weeks, few months, few years, and, and actually in the world, um, for quite a long time, I think we've been sheltered from a lot of this heartbreak, um, having these, pe- these places of privilege. Um, but we, you know, th- people who have been living in Afghanistan haven't been sheltered from this for the last 17 years. And people who are living in, other, in Syria and other parts of the world haven't been sheltered from a lot of deep hurt and pain. or, or uh, Daily doses of dire death. Right, right. Um, but it's been uh, striking us a bit closer to home. And I know, um, you know, the, a couple of years ago in Charleston with the, the shooting at the Bible study at that church there, that was um, obviously an event we all responded and reacted to. And it, it seems that, you know, anytime this happens in a, in a house of worship, um, it strikes you in a, in a whole nother place since it's such a, a space we feel like should be safe, um, should be um, off limits from this types, these types of violence. Um, but of course, historically, that's not been the case. And it nor is should it be a place now. you're stirred to think, right. but not a place you're stirred to mourn. Or fear. Same thing with schools. Right. Shopping malls. Concerts. Hospitals. Bars. Bars. Restaurants. restaurants promenades. Yoga studios. Yoga studios. Grocery stores. Hotels. It's just donut shops. It's just... Right. Of course, we could follow our president's advice and... Put armed guards on every corner in front of every house, um, and we can spend all of our money and all of our resources on that and on absolutely literally nothing else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's just not the way to do it. No, and how that changes how you feel when you walk into your house of worship or you walk into your school or your grocery store when you see the guards outside is such a different feeling. And you know, for you and I who've spent time in Israel, where you do walk into places where there's armed guards, you know. Check your purse, check your bag. Check your purse, do you have a weapon? And you get used to it, and I'm not sure that's a good thing. 
I went into a restaurant once with a friend of mine who lives in um, Tekoa, out in the mm-hmm. uh, territories in the West Bank, and he has a gun. He's got a permit. And so when the arm, he showed the checker his permit, and they let him in with the gun because he had a permit. Right. So that's a different kind of thing. But um, And then I remember the first time I took my parents to Israel, and we were riding from uh, northern Israel to Jerusalem, and we picked up a soldier as a hitchhiker who had a rifle. And my mother was sitting in the back, and my father was uh, sitting next to me, and I was driving, and my mother just tensed up totally mm. until he took the clip out of the rifle, and then she <laughs> she just wasn't used to it. I, sure. I yeah. But uh, we live in a, in a world right now which is... It's not a matter of, uh, oh boy, there's been a shooting. It's been, what time is it and when will the shooting happen? Right. It feels like we've come to accept it. Um, we're not surprised by it anymore. We've gone numb to it. Even that Shabbat morning when I saw the news about Tree of Life Pittsburgh, I, I wish I had been more surprised. I was not. No. It feels like these things that, that the way in which we speak to one another, the way in which we speak about one another, the anti-Semitism, the racism, the xenophobia, the nationalism, all of that um, has, there's that you know famous saying, words create worlds. And I feel like we've created some worlds here that, that are dark. There's, there was a lot of irony in that shooting. And I'm the kind of person that looks for stupid irony and I hear it and see mm-hmm. it, so... It was the 18th day of the Hebrew month, Cheshvan. Mm-hmm. 18 in Hebrew letters is a yud and a chet, which if you reverse them and pronounce the word, it's chai, which means life. Mm-hmm. So it was the day of life in that month in which there was a shooting at the congregation, Eitz Chayim, Tree, tree of, of Life. life. Yeah. On a day where there's supposed to be shalom. On a day where there's supposed to be shalom. So it was... Uh, it. it I think we're getting, I mean, to me, I get these messages all the time. That's one of the ways that I know that I'm in communication with, I've, that I define myself as being in communication with God, hmm. is because the world is so ironic hmm. to me. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so I, these little messages come all the time, and yeah. they never stop. In the beginning, I thought, this is weird. And now I just, I just say thank you and hello. But, it, but when they're disgustingly, sickeningly ironic, then yeah. that's worse. Right. So when, when you heard the news uh, two Shabbats ago, or almost two Shabbats ago, what, what was your first response? Were you surprised? Yeah, I was surprised. Hmm. Uh, I didn't hear about it till later in the day because I wasn't paying Shabbat, attention because yeah. it was Shabbat. And um, I forget. Uh, oh, yeah, my wife told me. And um, she'd heard it from somebody else. And uh, I didn't know the details. She just said shooting in a synagogue and in Pittsburgh, and the neighborhood is uh, where her best friend is from, hmm. Squirrel Hill, in uh, Pittsburgh, and so I got in touch with that friend too, and um, and then we heard more and more and more as the news came in what was going on, and um, it was uh, I'm so used to heavily guarded synagogues in Europe, right? So uh, the first time I went to Europe back in 1980, it took. It took all of my Hebrew ability to talk my way into some of the synagogues because they had no idea who I am. Of my my name is not recognizably Jewish if it were mm-hmm. Cohen or Goldberg or something like that, but it's Carton, and nobody has no any idea what that is. And so I um, 
I, I, I would go into these services and, and, uh, and be there. But this is, you know, 1980. Mm -hmm. So it's almost 30 years ago, and they were already guarding all the synagogues mm -hmm. in, in, in Europe. Mm -hmm. And um, I remember my family uh, and I, oh, no, the first time I went to, I'm alone to, to, uh, to uh, Florence. And when they give you a tour of the synagogue in Florence, they show you a spot where the ark, where the Torahs are kept, that had mm. these wooden doors, gold-covered mm -hmm. uh, wooden doors, where there's a big char where somebody had set off a grenade. Mm. So there's all this stuff, and it, there's a right. lot of... The, most of the guards and the synagogues of Europe are Israelis, former mm -hmm. uh, uh, army, you know, and uh, it, it's just... That's a reality there, but it was never a reality here until the shooting at a Jewish community center in Los Angeles about 10 years ago. And since that time, all Jewish uh, congregations have been having security, mm -hmm. usually unarmed security, uh, on high holidays, but not for regular services. It's just something we do, and a couple, just to make sure that you know, people know that somebody's looking and people are checking IDs. I mean, we have like a deterrent. Yeah, we have name badges. Mm -hmm. So if you, mm -hmm. and if you aren't a member of the congregation and you show up at the last minute, you can still come in. We give you a name badge and you know, da -da -da, we, and um, uh, and then you can come back and, and stuff. So everybody has gone through some sort of uh, scrutiny, and it's so weird. Yeah, I mean, it's not what I grew up with. No, and and now, you know. Since 9-11 and others, there's mosques have been targeted. Um, Sikhs have been targeted in the mistake thinking that they are Muslim. Not that there's any reason to target anybody. Well, there anybody. are others. Right. You know. um, and now so. black churches and, and all of these uh, incidents that make us feel like the world is less safe than we had perceived it to be. The world is less safe for sure. Yeah, the only thing I can say to myself is that it's not 1938. Right. And uh, I say that all the time. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, people say this is as bad as it's ever been. I say, not no. really. It's bad, but it's right. not. It's not bad. My, um, I live at the end of a cul-de-sac, and my across the cul-de-sac neighbor is a black man, and we we kibitz all the time in the cul-de-sac. Because there's hardly any traffic except for self-driving cars that seem to, we seem to be the end of their test route. <laughs> but um, uh, he came over to me because I, I keep my um, in a warm day, and it's been warm. I, I, I work in the garage, and uh, that's where my office is. And he came over, and uh, my door was open, and he wanted to offer words of comfort and support. Mm, and that's very kind. I had offered him words of comfort and support when the black mm -hmm. church in Charleston had been mm -hmm. similarly hit, and we were commiserating about that. And he's a fervent, ardent Republican, and I'm a fervent, ardent liberal, but not a uh, I'm an independent. And so we have con we have civil conversations. I didn't even know those still exist, but they do, <laughs> uh, with differences of opinion and policy. But we really agreed about this. This was not a partisan issue in any way, shape, mm -hmm. or form. It right. was just his people, my people, and people being targeted because they're human beings and right. a whole bunch of broken people out there with yeah. uh, hyper weapons mm -hmm. uh, going around blowing people away is just uh, the reality in which we yeah. live. But right now we're sitting here. Uh, your parents are coming down because of another new fire in Northern California. My wife's mother has been driven out of her home because of the same fire. Uh, move came down. So we have a new reality where we are having wildfires when 70-degree weather in November, right. where it never used to happen. We're having 
churches and Jews and Christians and blacks and all kinds of people targeted for just not and being... And in bars. And in bars and in all kinds of places. This is our new reality, and this is the one that we're leaving to our children and grandchildren. And um, and so this is... We would hope that being on the, across the pond from both East and West, that we would be immune from it, but... Feels like our sins are coming home. Our sins are coming home. Yeah, and I think, too, um, what I'd like to talk about today is where where do we go? Where do you and I go when we find ourselves in these places of um, anger, hurt, um, sorrow, heartbreak, questions? And one of the places where I've been finding comfort is in the book of Psalms and Lamentations. And I like, I love that um, this book that is important to both of our faiths and in our canons gives us permission to tell God. Uh, canon is a kind of an ironic word to use. Right. One end canon One is end. a two end canon. Right, right. Um, to tell our God, um, uh, what are you doing? Are you sleeping? Uh, have you not been paying attention? Don't you see what's happening here? And wake up. And that feels very brash and rude. And... Um, that there's quite a bit of uh, you don't know my family <laughs> right to be able to say to the creator of the universe are you sleeping are you did you fall asleep can you wake up can you pay attention um, have you seen what my enemies are doing can you do these horrible things like slice their lips off I'm so angry <laughs> all these crazy uh, comments in in the Psalms and yet the Psalms for me hold the expression of every human emotion right. Anger, hurt, pain, depression, disappointment, exaltation, joy, praise, hope, um, all of it together. And those cycles of of grief and full emotionality that we have is expressed in the Psalms. And I was thinking, you know, God has, in my theology, God has created human beings, right? In all of us. God has created us. So, of course, he knows that our full emotionality is present within our created beings, as designed that way. And so he's given us a book um, where we can go and see the full range of expression of that um, in relationship with God. And then that honesty that the psalmist has when the psalmist comes before God and says, hey, I'm angry about this. I'm upset about this. I'm depressed about this. I, I feel great about this. I'm hopeful about this. I still believe in you, even though there's no evidence that you're going to change my circumstances um, or change, be able to change what's happened here. That then because of that deep honesty, there's actually then a real relationship, right? If you and I come together and we're not honest about what's happening or how we're feeling or what's been going on, then there's some limit to the the reality of the relationship and the truth of the relationship. We make the relationship, um, we put a mask on, right? We don't see the real thing that is there and we, we don't um, encounter true praise even because it's masked by our dishonesty. The psalmist gives us voice, and it's it's uncomparable in any other ancient or Eastern religion, right? We we don't find any other place, any other religion where it's there's permission for us to go and say, "This is ridiculous," um, and I'm angry about it. And it's not that God is saying, "Oh, I'm super happy that the psalmist just declared that they would like their enemies destroyed and the baby's head smashed against the rocks," but God has allowed us to record. that type of conversation with God and that type of anger. I um, I don't know about other religions, and if anybody else from another religion actually mm-hmm. stumbles across this and has an example of such a thing from their tradition, yes, I would yeah. love to see it. But I I, uh, I like to go to the angry prophets. 
Mm-hmm. One of the things that I don't like about myself, uh, when it's, when these things happen, uh, I just have fantasies of killing the killers. Mm. It eats mm-hmm. me up inside. I don't, I don't cry much. Mm-hmm. I mean, I try not to. And it's like, you know, crying and vomiting, two things I don't like to do. But, um, but it's because I'm always on the edge of tears right, because right. of what goes on in the world, both positive and negative. Mm-hmm. I'm as moved to emotion with the Star Spangled Banner as I am with um, the killings in the synagogue and in the bar two nights ago. But, um, but I try to suppress it. It's not a good thing, but I do. But, but so what it turns to is it turns to anger and it mm-hmm. turns to fantasies of yeah. retribution and, and prevention through murder. And I don't, I don't like what it does to me. I mm-hmm. hate that. Mm-hmm. Um, I stopped watching movies about the Holocaust about sure. um, 30 years ago I, and, um, or looking at pictures. I can't look at them because when I look at them, I can't get it out of my head and I have these fantasies again. Um, I remember the last time I saw a picture and it was just, anyway, I'm not going to describe it because I don't want to make anybody angry sure. or sad. But um, I just can't, I can't do it anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember when I was a kid and there were all these newsreel pictures of U.S. soldiers um, liberating concentration camps yeah. and burying the unburied bodies in mass graves and them falling down chutes into mm-hmm. pits and I was and this is this kind of stuff that was on television mm-hmm. I mean I remember watching it mm-hmm. eating dinner with my parents mm-hmm. in our den and this was on the news mm-hmm. and I don't even remember why because I was so young but I, I grew up with that as a reality right. and it seems that a lot of the world has either forgotten it or beginning to exult in it yeah uh, and uh, 80 years after the Kristallnacht and 70 years after the Holocaust ended, it's just, um, it's hard. But I want to quote, I want to quote Jeremiah. So mm-hmm. twice in Jeremiah, he says, Shalom, shalom, ve'en shalom. People cry peace, peace when there is no peace. I'm going to do the one from uh, chapter 8, verse uh, 10, the second half of verse 10, and go on for a couple other verses. This is because from the least to the greatest, Everybody's greedy for unjust gain. From prophet to priest, everybody deals falsely. They've healed the wound of my people lately, saying, Shalom, shalom, ve'en shalom, peace, peace. When there is no peace, Mm -hmm. were they ashamed when they committed abomination? No, Mm -hmm. they were not at all ashamed. They didn't even know how to blush. Yeah. Now, it sounds a lot like our current situation no there are a lot of people starting from the very top of this country's political situation who lie and double down on their lies accuse people of fakery when they are the ones who commit it and they are promoting lies and promoting fakery and everybody is lying and not blushing in any way shape or form and if there's anything that disgusts me and frustrates me more It's that once upon a time, whether I agreed with their policies or didn't agree with their policies, at least I figured that the president was honest mm-hmm. and that the people who worked for the president were honest and that the congressional leaders who worked with the president were honest. And I don't have those feelings anymore. Right. Or that there were rare occasions where there was deliberate deception. Yeah, like when they were in the middle of something and they didn't want anybody to know about it until it was over. Yeah. Okay. And that, I mean, 
with the exception of Nixon, and that was a big exception. Yeah. But, you know, there were times when they were moving to get Osama bin Laden, and they didn't inform me first to let me know <laughs> yeah. until it was all over. Okay, I'm fine with that. But it's another thing to say, oh, you went to get after Osama bin Laden, and I said, no, we didn't. Mm-hmm. Like, really? No, they never said that. But I saw a hat recently that said, um, make Orwell fiction again. <laughs> 1984 yeah. you know my wife and i got married in 1984 and we thought i mean we've married for right you read the book years, yeah. but we thought it was kind of an inauspicious year and in hebrew letters it was even worse hmm. it was tafshin mem dalad the uh, 5744 uh, and tafshin mem dalad means you will utterly destroy Hmm. So everybody turned the letters around to spell other words like stay moat, which means fertile fields, <laughs> <laughs> butterflies, unicorns, you know? <laughs> and, yeah. uh, uh, and so, <laughs> or nonsense, just so yeah. it wouldn't mean anything. And actually the year before Kristallnacht uh, was Taf Rish uh, Tzari Chet, uh, 57, uh, 56, um, 98, which is Tartsach, which is murder. Hmm. You will murder. That was with the lead up to the Kristallnacht. That, hmm. that year ended on, on Rosh Hashanah, hmm. you know, in September of that year. And then in November of that wow. year, the Kristallnacht happened. And so these are the little stupid ironies that I listen to all the time. But, <laughs> but, but, you know, we got married in 1984, the year of you all to destroy, and we're, we're doing fine. You're doing okay. We're yeah. doing okay. Yeah. Well, and I think that, you know, as we come together and we feel or we see these events and you can feel hopeless or numb or angry or... Um, depressed and sad that we don't have to live into that reality, right? I mean, there, there, that is real and there needs to be space for that. And then we still have responsibility for the next steps. What do we do with it? So after, I know we reached out to each other the day of the, the shooting, um, sort of t- towards the close of Shabbat, and I uh, reached out to my other um, Jewish friends and, and neighbors to make sure that they knew that we were mourning with them and that we were heartbroken. And we have a whole bulletin board here of letters to the congregation right. from just everybody around. But non-Jews were attending all these Jewish commemorations yeah. in droves. It right. was terrific. Right, yeah. And our church that meets here sent right. a letter to your synagogue. And, um, and I think that those expressions meant quite a bit to everybody. And as you all held a, um, a circle of comfort, here in the synagogue, um, that's the following day. Uh, some of our members came and, and offered to watch the kids, you know, in the back so that people could find space and time. And I think just those ways of showing up for one another in these moments start to give us all a bit more hope. And I've seen now, um, you know, members of your congregation and members of my congregation coming together, and particularly as a result of our the tour we led a couple years ago, our Intersecting Journeys Tour with half Jews, half Christians on the bus to Israel for two weeks. They were Jews from the waist up and Christians from the waist down. <laughs> right, right, right. Half full, half full. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, chronologically speaking, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> through the Second Temple period and then following. Um, so the the members of that tour, they are still taking care of one another, they're still loving one another, still listening to one another's concerns and heartbreak. And so the Sunday following, just the next day after this event at Tree of Life, um, our group had already planned to get together, but then they found themselves um, wanting the comfort of being with one another, Jews and Christians together, 
in a home, sharing a meal, um, sharing words together, sharing some normalcy of life together. And at the same time, concurrently, the the vigil, the community vigil up at Beth Am was so packed that there was traffic for blocks and people walking with flashlights to try to get up and um, and show solidarity with the Jewish community here in the Bay Area. These are hopeful things that didn't happen after other events, you know, in the 30s and the 40s. We're starting to see that that the next generation, that our generation and the generations to come are living into a, a different reality um, or a different ethic. Their hope, not everybody, um, but our hope is what do we do today while we continue to do the, the next right thing? We continue to try to love God and love our neighbors. And we're hoping that the generation to come is catching all of that. And it seems to me that they are. It's with great joy that I watch your kids and our kids here um, at the synagogue and in schools together and in this community together. And as they then go off to college, uh, one of our sparkers has gone off to Yale. And the first thing she did when she got there was try to connect uh, with the Jewish community has formed Jewish Christian Bible study together and listening sessions. And it, you know, after this um, event in Pittsburgh, you know, showed up and, and sat with people um, because she's learned to do that here. Now, I, I have hope um, that things aren't, that things are bad, but that they don't have to remain that way. Well, there's a lot of, there's an upsurge of anti-Jewish acts, and I don't call it anti-Semitism because that was a intentional obfuscation right. to call it the anti-Jewish party, to call it anti-Semitic, because mm. anti-Semitic means you're against Semites and the Arabs are Semites, and nobody right. applies it that way. I call it Jew-phobia. It's fear right. of Jews. Right. Um, but in any case, those kinds of attacks against Jews uh, and defacing of synagogues and defacing of uh, Jewish community centers and defacing and destroying Jewish tombstones, et cetera. Uh, the incidence of that has gone up 70% in the last two years yeah. uh, in, in Germany, mm-hmm. in France, and in the United States. Mm-hmm. And, um, and these kinds of things are happening where uh, strong nationalist, pugnacious leaders in America, in Poland, in Hungary, in Germany, uh, political parties, uh, uh, and even the Labour Party in Britain. I was going to say in the UK, yeah. Um, are, are just being very nativist and uh, anti-other and xenophobic, just hating people. Uh, and, it's, and so the world is getting a little less tolerant, and part of it has to do with the ability to broadcast on social media anything you want unfiltered. And I remember when um, email first came out, um, I keep dating myself as being, you know, basically the next best thing to a dinosaur. But <laughs> anyway, when email came out, before that, whenever we sent out publicity to the Jewish student groups at Stanford, where I was the rabbi, um, you really couldn't afford to uh, recruit things for niche groups. Right. Like, like you know, left-handed eco vegetarian Zionists or whatever it was. You, mm-hmm. you couldn't do that. But once you had email, you could do that because it was free. Mm-hmm. And the same thing applies now that you can reach all the creeps under the rocks yeah. in every possible configuration. And, uh, and, and there's almost nobody who's filtering that crap. Right. Um, and people are getting away with it. And like I say, from the top of the country down to the bottom, people are denying it. And nobody's... Well, People are trying to hold them accountable, but their rabid fans, and I do mean rabid and I do mean fans, are 
fanning the flames of of hatred and otherness and get out of my country kind of stuff and um it's just uh it's 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 really it's really gross so i just want to tell you two stories when i was in college my very first day of getting to the university of missouri columbia i went up to my door of my room and there was a swastika carved on it and i wasn't even there yet and so i knocked on the door across the hall actually i didn't knock it the door was open a bunch of guys playing cards and I said, do you, do you guys, I introduced myself. I said, do you, do you know how the swastika got there? I said, yeah, there was a Jewish guy that lived there last year. He was gross. We called him the Hebe. He was an asshole. We wrote that on there just to tell him how we felt about him. And I go, oh, my God. <laughs> but he must have really been a jerk because they loved me. <laughs> we had a great time. And uh, I covered it up with, with one of my, you know, name cards they give you when you graduate from high school. And they found out I wanted to be a rabbi, even then I knew. And um, we got along really great. They were all agricultural students. Uh, in December, we had a thing in the, the lounge, and I was the only one guitar. They asked if I could lead the Christmas carols, and I, I knew them growing up in the school, and they're only like three chords anyway, so what the <laughs> heck. But, but we got along really, really well. So I, I don't know he must have been, but, but, the, but the fact that they could love me and hate him. And the only way they had to register their displeasure was to carve a swastika on his door. It just shows you how culturally ingrained it is. The second thing was we had this one absolute mega jerk in the following year. I was living on another floor in another dorm. And uh, he was so bad that he kept, he didn't like anybody on, on the, he never studied, didn't like anybody in the hall. He locked his door, walked out, and he was playing Time of the Season by the Zombies. And it was on a record. You know, when you, in the old days, we get to the end of the record, it would just go back to the beginning and play over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. Played it all day at top volume. The door was locked. But anyway, um, so I confronted him about that when he got back. And he said, six million, and they missed you. Oh, my goodness. So, and that's the kind of stuff that is pervasive in the culture. Right, I mean, it's right. still there. And uh, and what are you going to do? And when, when they advertise, and I just... I'm guilty of what I'm about to say is not a good idea. When you advertise the evil words of these people, the schmuck that, that, that did the killing in Pittsburgh, when they write what he wrote and publish it on the news, ah, what do they think that's going to happen? Yeah. That nobody's going to listen? When we had uh, the problem with all the suicides here in Palo Alto and high school students, we as clergy got together to talk and, and with public safety officials. and How do we deal with this? We didn't want to advertise it too much. We didn't want to hide it, but mm-hmm. we didn't want to advertise it in right. order to make it more attractive. Right. And the same right. thing, if you make a big deal out of all yeah. this stuff on the news, you just say, oh, good, I can commit suicide, kill a lot of people, and go out with a big splash, and everybody's going to talk about me for a while because I'm a loser, and otherwise oh, I'd never get talked about. Ah, yeah. And that's part of what's going on. So the megaphones of the news and the accessibility of social media is helping to publicize this evil yeah Yeah. and so i think we just need to make our voices louder we need to start using our outside voice and say what thousands of people showed up and the vigil was packed right that this that we that our community has shown up for one another here that we've cared for one another one night no it's happening i think a lot more than we think that it is i know but or at least we could glorify those stories just as and much, if not more. They, they did. They kind of overhyped one. One, there was a vigil of 30 people, and they made a big deal out of it. Going, <laughs> right. Okay, fine. You know. Right. I mean, I think 
there are horrors and atrocities that are happening, but there are also people that are the righteous Gentiles along the way that are that deserve the tree, you know, being planted at Yad Vashem because they're going to be the ones that stand there and say, this is not okay. And, and I think um, the more that we can also at least tell those stories too and continue to dialogue and continue to, to, uh, to find places with one another where we can move beyond fear and start to listen. I forget the whole order and the, and the exact words, but they, you know, they came for the labor unions right, and, right, right. Yeah. and they came for the Catholics and they came for the Jews and they came for the gypsies. And mm-hmm. finally they came for me. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and if the country as a whole, if the peoples as a whole don't really put our foot down and say, this is simply, simply totally radically unacceptable. Right. Right. And whenever you say it, I'm going to yell at you. Yeah. 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 Then I don't know. But as long as we have bad examples from the top and people going along with it for the sake of political power, I don't think it's going to stop. It, it might not stop for a while. And that's why we have the lament. Prime Minister Angela Merkel of Germany in her Kristallnacht speech today said that it was the gradual public acceptance of anti-Semitism that ultimately led to the Nazi murder machine. Mm-hmm. It's the more and more and more we get desensitized mm-hmm. to it, mm-hmm. either that people are, feel free to say it or feel cowed to protest it, yeah. that um, that leads to this kind of stuff. And um, uh, you with so many Jewish friends and me with humongous Jewish family, uh, you know, it's it's a worrisome time. Yeah, yeah. So we can lament and we can be angry and we can feel frustrated and depressed and all of those things belong within our canon and we can also f- move when we're ready um, to hope or to uh, to action of, of what we would like to see different in this world. The only thing I can think of, I mean, I can't think of a hopeful thing to say. I can only think of a motivating thing to say, which mm-hmm. is that if you're listening to this, just don't take it anymore. Mm-hmm. Don't let anybody get away with saying it without saying something. Right. Don't let anybody get away with repeating it without saying something. Just say it. And it's one thing for Jews to defend ourselves. Mm-hmm. It's another thing for everybody to defend others. Right. And I would say anyone who is othered. Anyone it's who's others. Immigrants, um, DACA recipients, African-American brothers and sisters, Muslim brothers and sisters, anyone, Anybody any who's person being of xenophobic. color, women, all That's of right. this, right? Trying to find a way... Um, to make sure that we can be the voices of conscience and of love and compassion. And, you know, I've often thought that I do no service letting that person stay in that hate, that I've permitted them to continue to stay inside of a prison. And instead, it's better if I can come alongside them, and this requires a miracle, right? Um, And instead try to move that person um, to to a different way of speaking or of thinking. And sometimes some things that people are saying are so insidious and, and they're not even aware. And some people are very aware of what they're saying. Some people aren't aware, right? Like no, I remember my, growing up saying, you know, hearing people say, well, I, that person Jewed me down kind of thing. Right. Or, but I would right. say, well, he gypped me and not knowing that that comes from the word gypsy. Right. So, uh, these are the kind of things you grow up with in the right. culture. And if you don't hear anybody react to it, you're never aware that you're offending or, or participating like in this. cotton pick in hands. Really? Right? Sure. I haven't heard that one in 
I can't tell you how many decades. Right. (laughs) (laughs) But now that you mention it, it's obvious. Yeah, there's a lot of those things. Or even just, you know, we have friends in the area, um, African-American friends who happen to be tall, right? PhD grads from Stanford. And with regularity, they get, what team do you play for? And the presumption that if you're black, that you're an athlete and you're tall and you're good at that versus any other thing that you might be. (laughs) might be completely qualified to do as well, right? And these presumptions, they can sound very much like, um, oh, you're you're Asian-American, therefore you're good at math and violin, right? (laughs) These things, they can sound like that's um, a model minority experience, and and it can be very damaging. Or where are you from? They've asked my husband several times, right? Uh, From here, right? And then, no, no, but like, do they have ketchup in your country? Yeah, from here. <laughs> so um, those types of things that can feel like an innocuous question if you're in the white majority, right? And then you, you ask it of somebody else um, can feel constantly like you're othering them. Well, but you're not from here. You don't belong here. Um, where, where are you from can be even a question that's difficult. So I think we can continue to listen and learn and try to understand how that feels listen to the voices of people that are not in the majority and try to understand if somebody speaks with a pronounced accent you can ask them where they're from if somebody it depends how you ask it it depends on how you ask it but i mean i i enjoy asking people that speak with an accent what is and i i don't do it in a way no of course to, not i just like i yeah. like languages and i i'm interested by people right. uh in different contexts and what they can teach me about what they've been through but um a lot of people just. They but just you don't might know what be the say. only person that had asked that question in that kindness, and they might have had oh, twenty people before and yeah, after yeah. who asked it in a different way. Yeah. When we're in a nation that's struggling with a lot of xenophobia, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, we'll keep doing um, the next best thing, and we'll keep trying to find ways to love God and love our neighbor. And keep those and cars enemies. and letters coming. Yeah. <laughs> well, God bless you, and we will be back into Genesis next week. I will build this world from love. Dee-dee-dye, dye, dye.